Hey, everyone. Dave Hagen here. Listen to these words. Hey, Jules, it's Brian. Just remember that I love you and I want you to live your life and have fun. These words are from a phone message which Brian Sweeney left his wife shortly before his plane, United Flight 175, slammed into the World Trade Center. What's the relevance of these words today? That's today on the Financial Wellness Podcast. Welcome to the Financial Wellness Podcast, Dave's weekly message to keep you on your path to the financial success. Here is your host, financial problem solver and talk show host, Dave Hagan. Thanks, Nick. Let's hear those words again. Hey, Jules, it's Brian. Just remember that I love you and that I want you to live your life and have fun. When Brian Sweeney left this message, he indicated that his plane had been hijacked and it didn't look good. He knew that most likely he would die in the ensuing minutes. He had one last opportunity to communicate with his wife. She wasn't home, so he left the message. He wanted to be sure that she got this message. His words give us a very touching and powerful insight into what a person in this situation would want to say to those that are left behind. I find it very enlightening to listen to this message and the last things that this fellow wanted to say to his wife. And he was talking about love, living, and fun. This just blows me away. Just remember that I love you and I want you to live your life and have fun. This is what Brian thought was important as he was looking at potentially the end of their time together. Now there's many lessons to be learned from September 11, 2001. Some of those lessons are learned by a nation. Some of those lessons we're still learning. However, there's several important personal lessons that I think we can take with us as we move forward in our lives. It would indeed be a fitting tribute to those that died if we can learn from this incident and have these lessons add more meaning to our lives as we move forward. Allocating your lifetime between love, family, and fun, as opposed to work and responsibility, is a difficult task. I tend to think that if I choose to allocate more time to work, it will not cause my time allocation and other segments of my life to suffer. Unfortunately, I don't think this is the case. Our time each day is like a pie chart. As one slice gets bigger, the other pieces must decrease. We just can't make a bigger pie. Now, time management experts have told us for years that if you get more organized, we can have many, many, many more small pieces in our pie so that we cram so much into each piece or have so many pieces that somehow you just create a bigger pie. More recent time management people like Stephen Covey, for example, if you don't know who that is, you should look it up on the internet because that's an important name who's written a lot of important books. But more recent time management people tell us that we can't fit more pieces into our pie. We must prioritize the pieces that we can include. Personally, this is something which I continually struggle with, and I'm not always successful in this regard. Balancing love, family, and fun against work and responsibility, as well as balancing short-term and long-term goals, it's very difficult to do. For me, it's one of the most fundamental issues that I deal with in trying to lead a balanced life. As I've said before, 
You don't hear too many people saying on their deathbed, gee, I wish that I'd worked a whole lot more. Seems to me the same insight can be used when one's looking at their long-term life plan, and their financial plan is certainly part of that. Seems to me that we need to think about more what's important as opposed to what's current or urgent. Yeah, you might be able to afford that new red car, but what will you have to give up to get it? How does it fit into your long-term plans? I think that when we look at these issues in a prioritized long-term manner, we tend to make better decisions. A noted law office management author, Jay Foonberg, suggests that when agreeing to accept a new case, an attorney should place a picture of their family between themselves and the client. Now, I thought he would suggest having the picture turned towards the client so they can see that the attorney supports the family with their fees and not balk at making the retainer payment. Now, interestingly enough, he suggests that the picture face the attorney. This is so that the attorney can see his family and clearly understand what the real price of taking on that new case might be. I still find this fascinating. Now, the same is true, if you will, for for large purchases. Put a picture of your family or a picture of yourself doing something that you like, like hang gliding or sitting on a beach with a drink with a little umbrella in it. And before you make that purchase, consider how that purchase might affect your ability to do these other things that you like. Which is more fun? Which costs more? Which lasts longer? Consider how many hours each month you'll need to work to pay for that item. Consider how much it'll put you back in terms of reaching your financial goals. Only then will you make a good decision. For me, this really helps, although not all the time. Now, there are many lessons we should all take with us from 9-11. For me, this is one of the lessons I intend to continue to take with me. It helps me make better decisions. The next time I contemplate taking on a particularly time-consuming or difficult task or case or even purchasing something that I absolutely don't need, I'll consider the last words of Brian Sweeney. You're listening to the Financial Wellness Podcast. You've been listening to the Financial Wellness Podcast, Dave's weekly message to keep you on the road to financial success. If you'd like Dave to answer any of your questions, email them to dave at davidrhagen.com. If you like the podcast, you can subscribe to the podcast by hitting the subscribe button in your app. You will automatically get a reminder each time Dave uploads a new episode. Or you can use the app to share this episode with your friends and family. Let's listen in now as Dave answers some emails. All right, time for emails. Nick, what do you got? All right, Dave. So as I was scouring through the emails, I found one that's actually relevant to today's topic. It says, hey, Dave, I know this show is about financial personal wellness, but I was wondering if you were ever going to do an episode on politics or how political views affect citizens' health benefits. For example, how Obamacare has affected the medical industry. I would love to tune in to that episode. Thanks, Sam. Well, Sam, you want to drive me down that path to talking about politics. And boy, that is a a really divided and divisive topic, uh, you know, especially in the last uh, handful of years. So, no, I want to stay away from politics, but I do want to talk about the costs of health care. Maybe we should do a a show on it sometime down the line. But it it seems to me that we've we've decided that we want to fund our 
healthcare delivery system with insurance. Um, I don't know that that always makes sense. I thought healthcare or insurance was designed to uh, spread around risk, not pay for a particular industry. So I, I think we need to we need to think about that. Clearly, what we're doing is less than optimal. We've we've got one of the best healthcare systems in the world, and the way we pay for it is seems complicated and odd. We've got a an, an HMO that our family uses, and do I call the referring physician or the usual physician, or do I go to the specialist, or how do I get to a specialist? Um, you know, my my son um, um, hurt his back. And it took like six, eight weeks for them to, uh, you know, approve him to go to a specialist. Um, we ended up taking him to a chiropractor who in two, three weeks got him, got him all fixed up. But um, it shouldn't be that way. The system's kind of gotten out of hand, and, and um, we need to think about that. Another good example is when I had my, my hip replaced. I, I think the hospital bill was, and don't quote me on these exact numbers, two nights in an operating room, and it was... Um, Eighty-six thousand dollars, which huh. which seems like a oh, lot, Lord. and it which seems like a lot for you know two nights in the hospital. Now I, they settled; they they did some kind of a private contract with the insurance company, and they settled for you know, like sixteen, seventeen thousand, and that seemed way low. So you know the way that we deliver health services seems kind of out of whack. Is is single payer the way to go? Well, I mean that's got advantages and disadvantages, and again depends upon someone's view of. Um, you know, what the role of government is. But it, it just seems to me that what we're doing is overly complicated and um, that we're paying people in, in the payment stream that, you know, shouldn't necessarily be part of that, um, you know, sharing in that income. And we're, we're not doing it particularly well. I also think that people shouldn't plan on, you know, having their employer take care of them medically completely. I understand how, uh, you know, how the, the payment um, for healthcare came about um, over the years, um, many years ago, but but now is it is it an employer's duty? I don't know. I, I think that's an arguable point. I think that grown up people could have a grown up discussion about whether that's supposed to be the case. And I also think that people ought to start thinking about having um, an item or a line item in their monthly spending plan. I didn't say budget. Monthly spending plan for healthcare. Whether it's medical insurance or medical insurance in combination with, um, you know, an allotment for co-pays and prescriptions or, or whatever it is. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm very happy that I can get our health care plan to put, pay for my glasses. But should that, should that be part of the gig? I don't know. Well, I mean, I think this can also go back. I think it's step four of creating an emergency fund. You know, well, you- Yeah, it seems to me. I, I think you hit it right on the point. You know, people, people need to have... A, you know, a, a, a line item in their spending plan for this kind of thing. And if you don't need it, hey, you can use it for something else at the end of the year. Hats, it, hats off to you. you absolutely. Know? And it encourages you to think about your health and try and establish some habits that keep you as healthy as you can. And um, so I think we need to think a little bit differently about it. But um, it's kind of worked into kind of a strange, um, a strange situation. Right now, federally, the, the must-pay provision has been taken out of uh, Obamacare, and yet the restrictions like um, non-cancellation and caps, those are all still there. Wait, do you, by, by what you just said, you mean like the fine that supposedly like you get fined if you don't have health insurance? Yeah, yeah. So we've, we've, we've put more restrictions on the fund 
but we've taken away one of the ways that the fund would develop income. So almost by definition, it's spending more than what's coming in. Of course, that sounds like the federal government, right? But of course. this is this is going to be a problem that's going to be down the road. And again, I'm not espousing any one particular um, solution. All I'm saying is it's not working now. It's probably a bomb that's ticking that we're not paying attention to, and uh, it's going to have to be dealt with. And my hope would be that grown-up people um, could talk about it in a grown-up way and hopefully come up with some, some grown-up solutions because yelling and screaming and pointing fingers isn't going to solve anything. We really need to have some grown-up discussions about some of these issues. And keep the cordiality. Well, let's, I would hope so. I would hope so. We can all hope so. We got another email? Yeah, we do. All right, so this one comes from Paul. Paul says, Dave, I have been very fortunate in my lifetime, and I would consider myself well off. I am reaching out to you to find out your opinion on your top three picks for appreciating assets and why. Thank you in advance. Wow, Paul, I'm not going to... I'm not going to give you any advice in terms of appreciating <laughs> assets. I'm sorry. Um, I don't want to be accused of giving anyone any financial advice on, on specific things because if it goes bad, then someone's going to point the finger. But, you know, I got to tell you, for any uh, rolling 30-year period, the stock market has, has returned pretty well, pretty reasonable, um, 10 12%, something like that. So if someone wanted to put their, their money in a – yeah, you know, some kind of a mutual fund that's indexed to the Dow Jones, chances are you're going to be pretty good. Um, if you're in an area where real estate's been appreciating and, and people are moving in, maybe that'd be pretty good. Um, you know, if, if you want to go out and buy a big red sports car, that's pretty good. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. You, you, you like the red sports car today. <laughs> I, I'm just on a, a red sports car jag today or something. But um, no, I, I think that there's... Um, there's really a lot of things out there. I, you know, one of the things that I like to tell people is when you're looking at an investment, um, choose something that, that sounds kind of boring, that, that's kind of dull to bring up at a party. It, it's really exciting to talk about pork belly futures and zip coins and zot Bitcoin, exotic, whatever. And You're just trying to rhyme now? You're making yeah, a note your own rap, Dave? Something <laughs> like that. And, um, you know, it's exciting to talk about it at a party, but people can lose a lot of money on that. The idea is be in it for the long term, be in it for the, um, you know, for the rate of interest that's in that 10-ish, 12-ish range, if you can get that. Something that's maybe connected to the overall economy or wellness of the U.S. government, which the government isn't in so good a shape, but the economy seems to always rebound. Something that's something that's a little... Uh, um, you know, maybe a little boring, maybe a little boring. Yeah. Well, how about we take uh, Paul 30 years back and this is presumably of course. And, uh, what about education? I mean, Dave, do you think education is an appreciating asset? Well, I don't know if I would consider it appreciating asset, but you know, 30 years ago, education was probably more important than it was today. And it was certainly a better buy because it was a lot cheaper, but, um, you know, it, it doesn't hurt to have that education, but if you're not going to pay for it straight up, if you're really going to borrow money, and we've talked about student loans ad nauseum here, but if you're going to borrow money, it seems to me you've got to have a very specific idea of what you're going to use that degree for. And if that's the case, if you can pencil out on a piece of paper where that degree is going to generate, 
you know, X amount of additional dollars for you per year, and you can then multiply that out over 30 years. Yeah, I guess you could say that that was a good investment, maybe not an appreciating asset, but a good investment. Of course, now the problem is education's become so expensive um, and people's thinking in terms of how they relate to the company that they work for and their longevity and the, the increased awareness of um, people who are creating their own businesses, creating their, their own ideas and bringing their own things to the market. Uh, I think it's, you know, the thinking's a little different. And this just isn't me. There's all sorts of articles that have been written about this and talked about in the media quite a bit, frankly. So I think the, you know, the emphasis on education isn't what it was, but it's hard to not get educated either. Well, what do you think? We got time for one more, Nick? We actually don't, but I want to let the listeners know about what's in the foreseeable future, Dave. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, one of our future podcasts is going to talk about this, this concept that we've been kicking around called It's My Money. I want our listeners to start thinking about their, their paycheck, and I want them to start thinking about the money and the, the accounts that they have in terms of it's my money. I want to spend it where I want to spend it, not where someone wants to influence me to spend it. And I think that if we can start to change people's mindset with this theme, it's my money, we might make a difference in terms of the way people think about their money. It's my money, it, not yours. I like that. Of course, if you got debt, it's not your money. It's someone else's <laughs> money. But we're all about no debt. We're all about keeping your own money. So, so in one of our future podcasts, keep tuning in because we're going to talk about It's My Money. This is Dave Hagan. And you're listening to the Financial Wellness Podcast. You've been listening to the Financial Wellness Podcast, Dave's weekly message to keep you on the road to financial success. If you'd like Dave to answer any of your questions, email them to dave at davidrhagan.com. Until next week, this is your announcer, Nick Appel, wishing you every financial success.